are no longer slaves to sin. That is the beautiful outflow of the gospel. Hey, thanks for joining us here at the church at Suncoast. Take your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. World, we will rule and reign with Christ, and life is good. So I keep this in my office just as a reminder, no matter what happens. That was a funny moment. And so, well, now that we're on a high note, uh, we're <laughs> we're going to talk about divorce. Let's just be Debbie Downer this morning and just pull the bubble out of everybody. Uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, one of the joys of preaching expeditionally, or ex, 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 well, verse by verse through the Bible, it may be a short sermon, it may be a long one, who knows, if I can get this thing out. Uh, but verse by verse through the Bible, that you are forced as a preacher or a teacher to preach it all. I think it's the way to go. And so we come on a topic that no preacher likes to talk about, and that is divorce. So take a look at chapter 19 of the book of Matthew, and let's plunge into the verses. I suppose we don't like to preach on it because it has affected many. It has hurt many. And uh, there's a lot of bad teaching about divorce and uh, misconceptions, and that's my hat to me. You bring that hat back, man. Verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. To help us understand the historical context of what's going on, this is his last journey out of Galilee. This is his final descent into Jerusalem, and he will never again see the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He's done. He's done with Galilee. He's done with the north. He goes to Jerusalem with his face set like a flint, Isaiah says, toward Jerusalem and the cross. So I want you to know that played on his mind. I want you to know the last few weeks and months he's been working specifically with his disciples. He's moving away from the crowds, working with his men, introducing to them the idea that I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. They didn't hear the coming back part. They didn't hear the resurrection. All they knew that he was going to a cross and dying. This played on their minds. It played on his mind. Now, I know he was God, but he was also a man, and he was carrying the weight of that cross moving into the area. You understand the pressure that Jesus Christ is a pressure that none of us understand. We don't see the bad coming. He saw it in all its fullness of what he had to do in paying for our sins. And he carried it. He carried the confusion of the disciples. He carried the rejection of the religious authorities of Israel. And yet I want you to see what he does with... Because look, when a man's in pressure, you... Under pressure, you find out what he's really like. Anybody on a blue sky when you're catching drum is a happy camper. But when it all falls apart and the rain and thunderstorms come in, this is, this is the, the measure of a man. And look what he does in verse 1. Verse 2, a large and large crowds followed him. That's the last thing you want when you're under pressure is to be crowded in by people. Notice his reaction. He healed them. Oh, what a Savior we have. What a, what a Jesus we have. He never turned them away. He never turns us away. He heals and ministers 
never too busy, never too under pressure. Notice how he loves us. Didn't tell the disciples to send them away. He took them in and he healed them. Well, here comes the Pharisees, always a happy group to see. Verse 3, you ever had people coming to see you and you just wish they'd go away? Verse 3, you cross over on the other side of the street. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him. <laughs> How would you think about it? They're, they have to move themselves through the crowd of healed, rejoicing. When people get healed, they get happy. This happy, joyous crowd, they have to push themselves through. And they're testing and question of Jesus is, hey, what's going on? These people are set free. Can we join in the... No, they got a question of a different nature. This is what makes the whole question and the whole moment seem so twisted. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? The last three words is really the question. The question is, that, can we divorce our wives? The question is, on what basis we can divorce them? Can we do it for any cause at all? Jordan, go ahead and put up the verse in Deuteronomy. This is in chapter 24 because this is the question in play. Moses had, had allowed them to write a bill of divorce and for the men to send their wives away. This Pharisee said, that's in the law, we can do it. But verse 1 says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then he finds no favor in her eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, he can send her away. The question is, what is defined as no favor in her eyes? What is the indecency? There were two schools of thought back then, two rabbinical schools of thought. One brought by a rabbi named Shammai, which he was gone off the scene, but his teaching still had impact. John Calvin has been gone for hundreds of years, but we still have Calvinistic teachings. So this school of thought of Shammai said this, that the only reason you can divorce according to that is adultery, sexual to be to be unfaithful to your mate. Then you can let them go. But the other school of thought, Halal, taught this. I'm going to read to you from William Barclay, because uh, he says it better than I can remember. At this point, he says the Jewish rabbis were violently divided. And it was here that Jesus' questioners wished to involve him. The school of Hillel interpreted this matter of indecency in the widest possible way. They said that it meant that a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled his dinner. If she went with unbound hair, if she let her hair down, if she spoke to men in the streets, or she spoke disrespectfully to his parents in his presence, if she was a brawling woman whose voice could be heard in the house next door. Don't raise your hand if you've been worried about the neighbors here in the last fight you had. One of the rabbis even went to the length of saying that the phrase that she finds no favor is that if he came across a woman who he found more attractive and beautiful than her. You can imagine which camp came into favor in the day, the second. 
And that was their question to Jesus. Which school of thought was right? Jesus is going to take them further back. Before I put Barclay's book down, I do want to read to you something that I've rather enjoyed in his writings on this. The rabbis had sayings of the day in reference to um, wives. Rabbis had many sayings about unhappy marriages. Among those are this, that any man who has a bad wife will never go to hell because he's enduring it in this life. Amen? A bad, a bad wife is like a leprosy to her husband. What is the remedy? Let him divorce her and he will be cured of his leprosy. It was even laid down, if a man has a bad wife, it is his religious duty to divorce her. Anyway, just a couple of things I found fascinating. Let's get into the passage. Look at verse 3. So for any cause, can we get rid of her? Notice Jesus doesn't go back to Hillel. He doesn't go back to Shammai. He goes back further because they weren't asking the right question. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, where does he go back? He goes back to Genesis chapter 2. That's where he goes. He pushes past Moses and said, let's go back to original design. And that's what I want you to hear this morning is original design. This is how God created it. Now, I'm going to resist jumping on a soapbox. I've got to a little because of our culture. I'm just going to say a few things because I could fill a message up with the next phrase. In the beginning, it says he created them. Notice, male and female. Everybody got that? He created them male and female. He did not create them male to be identified as a female. Neither did he create them female to be identified as a male. All that you're seeing in this crossover, whether it's got surgery or mentality, all that, all that is sin before the throne of God. It is not acceptable before God. It is sin. Lord, if I was a, if I was a kid and a boy, if I was a guy in middle school and I could get away with identifying as a female so I could get into the female locker room, I'd have done it. Right? Amen, Chad? Amen. You'd have been in there. I'm a girl. I'm going in. <laughs> this is all foolishness and sin, and it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable before God, and it is sin. And there I am getting on my soap. I just can't. It's unbelievable what we're seeing today. It's an abortion of God's original design. It just is. And beside that, the plumbing doesn't work any other way. Follow me? I mean, think about it. Well, I don't think about it too long. The plumbing doesn't work. But it's more than just the physical plumbing that does it, that, that, that is beautiful. It's, well, let's go on. Notice he says, therefore, based on the maleness, and by the way, that's the most distinctive thing about you, your maleness or femaleness. Do you know that? It is the most distinctive thing about your hum humanity. Before a baby is identified in the womb, it's called a it. We don't know what it is, but once it gets a designation of a sex, it becomes male or female. Therefore, on the basis of this wonderful, good plumbing plan, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become 
one flesh. This is way beyond the physical act of sex. This is this which is an outward picture of the beautiful oneness between two human beings, the blending of two lives together that God has brought together. Sex outside of marriage is fornication and adultery, and it is sin. The standard has not been lowered in our time. It's not. This relationship is for within the marriage union. It doesn't work in any other way. To the glory of God. Notice what therefore God has joined together. That's his point. Let no man, and I'll use the King James word, I like it here. Let no man put asunder. Let no man separate. Marriage union from the original design was meant to last for a lifetime. God designed it like that. And by the way, where are Adam and Eve going to go? There's no one else. That's what marriage looks like in God's original design. Once you marry your wife, once you marry your husband, there is not another man or woman that exists in all the planet. In that type of relationship, it is a oneness forever. And to tear that apart, many of you know, is a painful and hurtful thing. Well, they, got, they see their opening in verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. They saw an opening. They saw Jesus, oh, you're going to say that you're going to put yourself over Moses, which he was, but they didn't see him like that. You're going to violate the law. You're going to say Moses was wrong in doing so. Jesus interprets exactly what Moses did. Look at verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. It was a concession of Moses based on a sinful hardness of heart of the people. It was a concession, not a new law to violate the original design of marriage. And this is where it gets sticky, and this is where it gets thick, and this is where it gets abrasive. Because if you were to ask me, if you were in a relationship, if you were in a marriage that is abusive, I would tell you that it's wrong to stay in that marriage and to be abused. God, God originally designed it for all of life because it is hard many times to be married. It's difficult many times to put up with another individual day in and day out. Now, most of it is beautiful, but there are we would not be honest without saying there's times you just want to choke each other, right? And if it was easy to walk away, you would just walk away. But when you have that firm commitment that this is your wife, this is your husband for all of life, you stay at it and you keep working at it and it gets better and better and richer and deeper and more meaningful to you because you had to go through the hard things to get to that place. Karen and I next year will be married 40 years. And it hasn't always been easy. It's been hard living with me, putting up with me. But she did it. And we're enjoying a richness and sweetness that we didn't have the first five or ten. We had a great, we had a good marriage. But we had to go through the tussle. But there are times in marriage where it's abusive, where it is, that it's sinful to stay in the marriage. So this is a concession by Moses because sin is there. But Jesus doesn't want us to lose the ideal. And for this reason, 
because of sin, because of sin within our culture and with our own hearts, he must, we must understand it's not easy to walk away and just, just throw it all to pieces and stay at it. That's why the ideal is still held there. I don't marry just anyone who comes to me. I want to sit down and I want to talk with them and I want to see if God has brought them together. I want to see something spiritual that the Lord has brought them together. If they're just together for physical reasons, we all know that is not enough to sustain you over 40 years. It's just not. We go on. But from the beginning, it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, now we find out what camp Jesus is in. He's in the camp of Shemel. And marries another, commits adultery. Now let me say quite quickly that I have known couples who have committed adultery and they worked through it and forgave one another. And now I can tell you they have a, a strong, vibrant family and marriage. They got through it. So it isn't like this checkpoint, yeah, okay, that happened, I'm gone. Because it can still work, it just it takes a tremendous amount of work. But I will not soften the words of Jesus. It is a sin to divorce, but it's not the unpardonable sin. We sang and reveled in grace. Do you really believe that? Do you believe in the forgiveness of God? So much so that our sins are put away, then if you've experienced that, God has forgiven. But I'm fast to say, the reason preachers don't like to preach is because because I'm, I'm in the motion of talking to you, so I'm, I'm not making it up as I go, but I'm telling you what I believe. And, and the fear is that I'm going to say something that you don't hear, or say, I don't say something that you do hear. Jesus said it clearly, commits adultery. Notice verse 10, this is how astonished the disciples were. And the disciples said to him, if that's the case of a man with his wife, and I want you to notice the sexism of the day. Women could not put away their husbands. Husbands could put away their wives. In extreme cases, they would allow a woman. But generally, this was, it's just the culture that we're looking at right now. It was the man had the power to put. And by the way, this teaching was to protect the women. It is better not to marry. Man. It's better just to leave the whole institution alone. Let's just abandon it. There's so much trouble in it. The alimony, the, the uh, whatever, you know, the stuff that comes along with it. Let's just not do it. Verse 11. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. Not everyone can live a single life. In fact, the default is a married life. But there are those who don't make the default mode in terms of God has gifted them to live in happiness being single, which is equally a gift with being married. Paul talks about the advantage of being single in the ministry, of having a, a wholesale, all of his time consumed with planting churches. There's some advantage. But for most of us, God has created us to meet someone, to marry, but that doesn't mean everyone, neither does it mean those who are gifted with singleness are any less in the view of God or what he's doing. Well, now we get into eunuchs. This is always a lot of fun to teach on. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs. What is a eunuch? In case you didn't know, it was a male that has been 
castrated, castrated. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, by surgery being castrated. Daniel was a eunuch. Did you know that in Persia, in Babylon? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were made eunuchs by those. Imagine a young man having been forced to go through that process. Being a eunuch worldwide, and there are, do you know there are more eunuchs today in the world than have ever been in, in, in all of humanity? Did you know that? In cultures around the world? Now, I, I get the first two. The third kind of confuses me. Maybe you Bible scholars can help me out with this. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. I don't get that. Notice, he doesn't define the kingdom of heaven here as his kingdom. Probably he's talking about a religious move in order to become a eunuch to serve whatever God they believe is in the kingdom of heaven. I would take it more than that. But there are history throughout the Christian church of monks and such becoming eunuchs to devote themselves to take away any desire of, of women, of anything in this life, to devote themselves completely to God. That is not God's design. He never led any monk or any religious sage to do that. It's wrong. But then he says at the end, let the one who is able to receive this, able to understand this, able to understand that there are those who devote themselves in signalness to God without a wife, without a husband, in order to serve God, that is equally a gift as it is the gift of marriage. Now, how to wrap a talk as difficult as this is. Well, my tendency is to duck and run. That's, that's basically it. But I won't do that because I'm standing in front of you. Three things, and let me try to wrap it up with this. Marriage is sacred and it is a holy institution. It is not designed or built or figured out by man. God performed the very first marriage between Adam and Eve. He brought them together and they became one. So this holy, sacred institution of marriage is not thought up by man to be cast off and let's just live together. No. It is to be entered in understanding that this is God's design for male and female in bringing them together in a bond of commitment that makes it through the tough years into the wonderful, I almost said the sweet wine years, but I won't say that because it takes a while for the wine to get sweet. It takes a while for relationships that are good to begin with to grow deeper and deeper, but it's holy and it's sacred. Now, how does the world look at marriage? Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. If it doesn't work, I'm just going to kick you out, pack you, send you packing down the road. God's design is that it's holy. He says in, in Hebrews that the, the, the marriage bed is holy. It's holy. Implied, any other bed is not holy. Uncompromised. We, un, we, we do not compromise on that truth. Number two, sex outside of marriage is called fornication, in case you didn't know. Sex outside of marriage is called fornication. It is a sin. Sex outside the marriage bonds is called adultery. Now, years ago, the preacher wouldn't have to define these things, but we have to define it now because we've lived into a culture where sex is just casual. You just meet somebody, jump in the sack, and what we're doing is we're becoming one with, with who? 
It's beyond the physical act. There is a spiritual element to the whole thing. There is an emotional element to the act. There's a oneness that occurs. And any sex outside of marriage is called fornication. It is a sin. Any sex outside the marriage bonds is adultery. If you're a married man, every woman in the world is your sister. To be treated like your sister. If you're a married woman, every man other than your husband is to be treated like a brother. How many of y'all ever kissed your brother in the lips? Well, don't, don't say that. <laughs> I don't want to know anymore, Chanda. I've asked enough. <laughs> Something's yucky about being too close to your brother or sister. It's your brother. Oh, that's, that's my brother. That's my sister. Hey. Number three. Every man must choose according to the choice that they've been given. And when I use the man, I'm using mankind. I'm writing a book now. And I refuse to, to put in there every time I put Adam and Eve and him and her and she and him. It's so laborsome to be able to have to do that. When I talk about man, I'm talking about women, men, all of them. We understand that. Every person, I'll just try to be politically correct, every person must choose based on the gift that they have been given. And the normal default is you'll probably meet someone to marry. But it doesn't mean the choice or the gift not to marry is abnormal. It's not. It's just as normal. It's just different. But if God has led you into marrying, or if you're married, it is for all of life. That's the ideal. That's the design. Now, there's a lot more teaching on marriage than just the book of Matthew in this passage. There's a lot more, and a lot more I could say and could be said, but that is what we'll say today. Lord Jesus, we pause and pray, close this service out, asking you to give us insight and understanding into the scripture. Father, my heart goes out to anyone who has experienced divorce, and I pray today that you'd minister to them and, and Hopefully, Lord, they've forgiven themselves as you've forgiven. The circumstances are all unique. It's a difficult topic, Lord. And, but thank you for the insight that you give that the original design still stands regardless of the culture that we live in. And we uncompromisingly stand by it. I pray for anyone here today who's never come to Christ because the beginning of a righteous, holy life is knowing Jesus as your Savior. Pray that you open their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Let's sing with Caleb a closing song. Hey, thanks for joining us today at the Church at Suncoast. We pray that the message was a blessing to you. If we can be of any help, don't hesitate to contact the church on our Facebook page or at suncoastjacks.com. O-R-G. If you are in the listening area, we'd love to have you attend any of our services. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Baby, yes,